0: Chapter 26 of Unleavened Bread. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Unleavened Bread by Robert Grant. Chapter 26 Until this time, the course of financial events in Benham, since its evolution from a sleepy country town began, had been steadily prosperous there had been temporary recessions in prices transient haltings and the tendency of new local undertakings to double and quadruple in value a few rash individuals indeed had been forced to suspend payments and compound with their creditors but there had been no real setback to commercial enthusiasm and speculative gusto those who desire to borrow money for progressive enterprises had found the banks accommodating and unsuspicious and to benham initiative it yet appeared that the development of the resources of of the neighborhood by the unwearying masterful energy of the citizens was still in its infancy but now after a few months of inactivity which holders of speculative securities had spoken of as another healthy breathing spell the tendency of prices had changed had not merely halted but showed a radical tendency to shrink even to tumble feverishly buyers were scarce and the once accommodating banks displayed a heartless disposition to scrutinize collateral and to ask embarrassing questions in regard to commercial paper rates of interest on loans were ruthlessly advanced and additional security demanded a pall of dejection hung over benham evil days had come days the fruit of a long period of inflation a dozen leading firms failed and carried down with them divers small people amid the general distrust and anxiety all eyes were fixed on wall street the so-called money center of the country the Gehenna where the cyclone had first manifested itself the newspapers voicing benham public opinion cast vituperation at the bankers and brokers of wall street whose unholy jugglings with fortune had brought this commercial blight on the community wall street had locked up money consequently funds were tight in benham and the plans of its honest burghers to promote enterprise and develop the lawful industries of the country were interrupted so spoke public opinion and at the same time hundreds of private letters were being dispatched through the benham post office in response to requests for more margins on stocks held for the honest burghers by the fraternity of wall street gamblers there was a private wailing and gnashing of teeth also for in the panic a few of these bankers and brokers had been submerged and the collateral of Benham's leading citizens had been swept away. The panic itself was brief, as panics always are, but it left behind it everywhere a paralyzed community. So far as Benham was concerned, only a few actually failed. But in a host of instances, possessors of property who had thought themselves wealthy a year before found that they were face to face with the knotty problem of nursing their dwarfed resources so as to avoid eventual insolvency. Everything had shrunk fifty, often one hundred percent for the basis of Benham's semi-fabulous development had been borrowed money. Many of Benham's leading citizens were down to hardpan, so to speak. Their inchoate enterprises were being carried by the banks on the smallest margins consistent with the solvency of these institutions, and clear-headed men knew that months of recuperation must elapse before speculative properties would show life again. Benham was consequently gloomy for once in spite of its native buoyancy, it would have arisen from the ashes of a fire as strenuous as a young lion but with everybody's stocks and merchandise pledged to the money-lenders enterprise was gripped by the throat in the pride of its prosperity benham had dreamed that it was a law unto itself and that even wall street could not affect its rosy commercial destinies it appeared to pious owners of securities almost as though god had deserted his chosen city of a chosen country Lyons was among those upon whom the harrow of this fallen prices and subsequent hand-to-mouth struggle with the banks, pressed with unpleasant rigor. In business phraseology he was too much extended. Consequently, as the margins of value of the securities on which he had borrowed dropped away, he was kept on tender hooks to the future. In case the process of shrinkage went much further, he would be required to supply more collateral and if the rate of money did not fall the banks would refuse to renew his notes as they became due unless he could furnish clear evidence of his solvency he was owing over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on paper secured only by the stock and bonds of brand new enterprises which had no market negotiability from the money which he had borrowed he had sent from time to time to williams and van horn an aggregate of forty thousand dollars to protect some two thousand shares of railroad stocks Williams had especially commended the shares of the coal-carrying roads to his attention, and the drop in prices had been uniformly severe in these properties. Instead of being the possessor of a stable quarter of a million, which he considered to be the value of his property at the time of his election to Congress, Lyon suddenly realized that he was on the brink of a serious financial collapse through which he might lose everything before he could discharge his liabilities. It seemed cruel to him, for he believed that all his ventures were sound, and that if he were not forced to sacrifice his possessions their future value would attest its sagacity but at present the securities of speculative enterprises were practically worthless as procurers of ready money the extreme circumstances had come upon him with startling rapidity so that he found himself in the unpleasant predicament of having used for temporary relief some of the bonds belonging to the parsons estate which he held as executor He had forwarded these to Williams merely as a matter of convenience before he had become anxious, expecting to be able to replace them with funds coming to him within thirty days from a piece of real estate for which he had received an offer. He had held off in the hope of obtaining a higher price. The following week, when signs of danger were multiplying, he had found the would-be purchaser unwilling to buy at any price. Realizing the compromising position in which he had placed himself by his action, he had cast about feverishly for the means to redeem the hypothetical securities but all his resources were taxed of a sudden by the advent of the panic it occurred to him to ask selma to allow substitution of the twenty thousand dollars which had been apportioned to her as legacy for the bonds but at first he had shrunk from the mortification of disclosing his condition to her and now that the situation had developed he feared that he might be obliged to borrow this money from her for the protection of his other interests it gave him sore concern that he a champion of moral ideas a leading church member and a representative of the federal government should be put in such an equivocable position here again there was no opportunity for conciliation and dignified urbanity was of no avail if the condition of drooping prices and general distrust a sort of commercial dry rot which had succeeded the panic continued much longer he would be driven to the wall unless relief were forthcoming nor was it much consolation that many others were on the verge of failure. Financial insolvency for him would mean the probable loss of his seat in Congress and the serious interruption of his political career. From what source could he hope for relief? The preparations for the autumn campaign were already being considered, and there was likelihood of another close contest between the two political parties. But for the worry occasioned by his plight, he would have resumed the contest with hopeful ardor, appreciating that the pecuniary distress of the community would be likely to work to his advantage. His own nomination was assured. His re-election appeared probable, but after it what could he expect but the deluge. One source of the effectiveness of Horace Elton was that he was wont to exercise foresight and make his plans in advance while other men were slumbering. He had been prepared for the panic because he had been expecting it for more than a year, and the ship of his financial fortunes was close-reefed to meet the fury of the overdue gale also he was quick to recognize that the widespread depreciation of values would inevitably be followed by a period of business inactivity which would throw out of employment a large number of wage-earners whose ballots as a consequence would be cast against the political party in power as far back as the time when he had made the acquaintance of selma at washington and selected her as the wearer of his cameo pin he had been incubating on a scheme for the consolidation of the gas companies in the cities and towns of the state into one large corporation for this corporation he required a liberal charter which the next legislature would be invited to grant he expected to be able to procure this franchise from the legislature but he judged that the majority in favor of the bill would not be large enough to pass it over the governor's veto accordingly it was of the first importance that the governor should be friendly to the measure this was the year of the presidential election both political parties were seeking to nominate their strongest candidates for the various federal and state offices a promoter of large business schemes was at a disadvantage in a campaign where party feelings ran high and national issues were involved and elton knew it he commonly chose an off-year in politics for the consummation of his business deals but he had chosen to push his bill this year for the reason that he wished to be in a position to buy out the sub companies cheaply the community was pressed for ready money and many men who would be slow in prosperous times to extract gas shares from their tin boxes and stockings would be glad to avail themselves of a reasonable cash offer elton was a republican on national issues his experience had been that the republican party was fundamentally friendly to corporations in spite of occasional pious ejaculations and party platforms, to the contrary. He had a Republican candidate for governor in mind who would be faithful to his interests, but this candidate was put aside in the Convention of Difference to the sentiment that only a man of first-rate mental and moral caliber could command the allegiance of independent voters, whose cooperation seemed essential to party success. The Republican State Convention was held three weeks prior to the date fixed for that of their opponents. Within 24 hours, subsequent to the nomination of Honorable John Patterson as the Republican candidate for governor, while the party organs were congratulating the public on his selection, and the leaders of the party were endeavoring to suppress the murmurs of the disappointed lower order of politicians, who, in metaphorical phrase, felt that they were sewed up in a stack for another two years by the choice of this strong citizen, one of the most widely circulated Democratic newspapers announced in large type on its front page that hon james o lyons was the only democrat who could defeat him in the gubernatorial contest behind the ledger sheet of this newspaper which was no other than the benham sentinel lurked the keen intelligence of Horace elton he knew that the candidate of his own party would never consent to indicate in advance what his action on the gas bill would be and that he would only prejudice his chances of obtaining favorable action when the time arrived by any attempt to forestall a decision this did not suit horace elton he was accustomed to being able to make an inkling before election that legislation in which he was interested would not encounter a veto his measures were never dishonest that is he never sought to foist bogus or fraudulent undertakings upon a community he was seeking to be sure eventual emolument for himself but he believed that the franchise which he was anxious to obtain would result in more progressive and more effectual public service he had never before felt obliged to refrain from asking direct or indirect assurance that his plans would be respected by the governor yet he had foreseen the possibility of just such an occurrence the one chance in a hundred had happened and he was ready for it he intended to contribute to the republican national campaign fund but he did not feel that the interests of his state would suffer if he used all the influence at his command to secure a governor who would be friendly to his scheme and congressman lyons appeared to him the most available man for the purpose it already occurred to lyons that his nomination as governor was a possibility for the leaders of the party were ostensibly looking about for a desirable Democrat with whom to confront patterson and had shown an intention to turn a cold shoulder on the ambition of several aspirants for this honor who might have been encouraged in an ordinary year as probable victors he knew that his name was under consideration and he had made up his mind that he would accept the nomination if it were offered to him he would regret the interruption of his congressional career but he felt that his election as governor in a presidential year after a close contest would make him the leader of the party in the senate and in case the candidate of his party were chosen president would entitle him to important recognition from the new administration moreover if he became governor his financial status would be strengthened the banks would be more likely to accommodate one in such a powerful position and he might be able to keep his head above water until better times brought about a return of public confidence and a recovery in prices yet he felt by no means sure that even as governor he could escape betraying his financial embarrassment and his mind was so oppressed by the predicament in which he found himself that he made no effort on his own part to cause the party leaders to fix their choice on him Nor did he mention the possibility of his selection of Selma. Mortification and self-reproach had made him for the moment inert as to his political future, and reluctant to confide his troubles to her. The clarion declaration of the Benham Sentinel in favor of Lyons evoked sympathetic echoes over the state, which promptly convinced the political chieftains that he was the strongest candidate to pit against Patterson. The enthusiasm caused by the suggestion of his name spread rapidly, and at the end of a week his nomination at the convention was regarded as certain. The championship of the Sentinel was a complete surprise to Selma. She had assumed that her husband would return to Washington, and that political promotion for the present was out of the question. When she saw her husband's features looking out at her from a large cut on the front page of the morning newspaper, and read the conspicuous heading which accompanied it, the Sentinel nominates as governor, the Honorable James O'Lyons of Benham, the most eloquent orator and most public-spirited citizen of the state, her heart gave a bound, and she eagerly asked herself, Why not? That was just what they needed, what she needed, to secure her hold on the social evolution of Benham. As the wife of the governor of the state, she would be able to ignore the people who held aloof from her and introduce the reforms in social behavior on which her heart was set. James, have you seen this? she asked eagerly. Lyons was watching her from across the breakfast table. He had seen it, and had laid the newspapers within her reach. Yes, dear, it is very complimentary, isn't it? But what does it mean? Are you to be governor? Did you know of it, James? I knew that my name, with others, had been mentioned by those who were looking for a candidate whom we can elect, but this nomination of the Sentinel comes from a clear sky. Would you like to have me, Governor Selma? Yes, indeed, if the chance is offered you, James, you surely will accept it. "'It would please me immensely to see you, Governor. "'We should not be separated then part of the year, "'and and I should be able here in Benham "'to help you as your wife ought to help you. "'I know that you have been looking forward "'to the next session of Congress "'in the hope of distinguishing yourself, "'but isn't this a finer opportunity? "'Doesn't it open the door to splendid possibilities?' "'Lyons nodded. "'His wife's eager presentation of the case "'confirmed his own conclusions. "'It's an important decision to make,' he said with gravity. If I am not elected, I shall have lost my place in the congressional line, and may find difficulty in recovering it later. But if the party needs me, if the state needs me, I must not think of that. I cannot help being gratified encouraged by the suggestion that my fellow citizens of my political faith are turning to me as their standard-bearer at this time, when great public issues are involved. If I can serve God and my country in this way, and at the same time please you, my wife, what can I ask better? He spoke with genuine feeling and reverence, for it was in keeping with his religious tendencies to recognize in advance the solemn responsibilities of high office, and to picture himself as the agent of the heavenly powers. This attitude of mind always found Selma sympathetic and harmonious. Her eyes kindled with enthusiasm, and she replied, "'You view the matter as I would have you view it, James. If this trust is committed to us by Providence, it is our duty to accept it as lovers of our country." and promoters of true progress it would seem so and in some ways he said as though he felt the impulse to be reasonably frank toward providence in his acceptance of the trust my election as governor would be advantageous to my political and business interests i have not sought the office he added with dignified unction but my knowledge of local conditions leads me to believe that this action of the sentinel signifies that certain powerful influences are working in my favour i shall be able to tell you more accurately in regard to this before long lyons happened to know that the benham sentinel had enlarged its plant two years previous and that horace elton was still the holder of its notes for borrowed money the transaction had passed through his bank and in the course of his mental search for reasons to account for the sudden flat-footed stand of the newspaper the thought came into his mind and dwelt there that elton was at the bottom of it if so what was elton's reason why should elton a republican desire his nomination surely not to compass his defeat in this connection elton's friendship and the prophecy made to selma as to his political future occurred to him an invidious supposition glamis thou art and cotter thou shalt be what thou art promised lyons left selma with the conviction that he would find elton to be mainly responsible for what had taken place shortly after reaching his office he received a note from him asking for an appointment punctually at twelve o'clock elton arrived and was shown into lyons's private room lyons gave orders that he was not to be disturbed for he believed that the results of the interview were likely to have a serious bearing on his career as a statesman both men were of heavy physique but as they sat facing each other an observer would have remarked that elton's visage possessed a clean-cut compactness of expression despite its rotund contour His closely trimmed whiskers, his small, clear, penetrating eyes, and the effect of neatness conveyed by his personal appearance, were so many external indications of his mental lucidity and precision. In contrast, Lyons's moon-shaped face, emphasized by its smooth-shaven mobile mouth, below which his almost white chin-beard hung pendant, expressed a curious interplay of emotional sanctity, urbane shrewdness, and a sense of self-importance. Governor Lyons, at your service. "'said Elton's, regarding him steadily. "'Do you think so?' "'I know so, if you desire it. "'The nomination you mean, "'the election by a comfortable majority.' "'Lyons breathed hard with satisfaction. "'If the people of the state "'choose to confide their interests to my custody, "'I shall not refuse them. "'So I supposed,' You may be wondering, Lyons, why I, a Republican, should be talking like this. I will tell you. Observation has led me to believe that the people of this state will elect a Democratic governor this year. The hard times will hurt the administration. Consequently, as your friend, and my own friend, I have taken the liberty to indicate to the managers of your party their strongest man. I am responsible for what you saw on the front page of the Sentinel this morning. There need not be much difficulty, he added significantly and securing emphatic endorsement throughout the state of the sentinel's preference. Lyons look grave. You must be aware that our views on public questions, especially those which concern the relations of capital and labor, are not the same. Certainly, I tell you frankly, that while from a humanitarian point of view I respect your desire to relieve the inequalities of modern civilization, as a businessman and a man of some property, I do not regard the remedies presented by your party platform as just or adequate. I recognize that your opinions are hostile to corporate interests, but I have gathered also that you are disposed to be reasonable and conciliatory, that you are not inclined to regard all men and all measures as dangerous merely because they have means or are introduced in the name of capital. It has always seemed to me that a conciliatory spirit secures the most definite results for the public, assented Lyons. Precisely see here lyons elton said leaning forward across the table at which they were sitting i wish to be entirely frank with you you know me well enough to understand i have not offered you my support in any philanthropic spirit i could not have deceived you as to this had i tried i am a practical man and have an axe to grind i am urging your election as governor because i believe you to possess intelligent capacity to discriminate between what is harmful to the community and what is due to healthy individual enterprise the energy which is the sap of American citizenship. We capitalists have no fear of an honest man, provided he has the desire and ability to protect legitimate business acumen against the slander of mere demagogues. I have a bill here, he added, drawing a printed document from his pocket, which I am desirous to see passed by the next legislature. It embodies a charter authorizing the acquisition and merger and one corporation of all the gas companies of this state and an extension of corporate powers so as to cover all forms of municipal lighting were your hands not tied by your prospective election i should be glad to offer you an opportunity to become one of the incorporators for i believe that the undertaking will be lucrative that of course is out of the question now then this is a perfectly honest bill on its face to be sure it secures a valuable franchise for the petitioners and consequently may encounter some opposition but on the other hand no one who considers the matter candidly and closely can fail to recognize that the great public will secure cheaper gas and more efficient service as the result of this consolidation and that is where i felt that i could count on your intelligence you would not allow the plea that capitalists were interested in obtaining a profitable franchise to obscure the more vital consideration that the community will be the true gainers Lyons bowed graciously and stroked his beard what is it you wish me to do he asked To read the bill in the first place. To convince yourself that what I have told you is true. To satisfy yourself that the measure is essentially harmless. The bill is not long. Read it now, and let me hear your objections. I have some papers here to look over, which will occupy me for a quarter of an hour, if you can spare me the time. Lyons acquiesced and proceeded to peruse slowly the document. When he had finished it, he folded it solemnly and returned it to Elton. It is a bill framed in the interest of capital, but I cannot say that the public will be prejudiced by it. On the contrary, I should judge that the price of gas in our cities and towns would be lowered as a consequence of the reduction in running expenses caused by projected consolidation. What is it that you wish me to do? Agree to sign the bill, as it now stands, if it passes the legislature. Lyons rested his head on his hand, and his mouth moved tremulously. If I am elected governor, he said, I wish to serve the people honestly and fearlessly. I am sure of it. I ask you to point out to me in what manner this bill entrenches upon the rights of the people. You yourself had noted the crucial consequence it will lower the price of gas. If at the same time I am benefited financially, why should I not reap the reasonable reward of my foresight? I will sign the bill, Elton, if it comes to me for signature. I may be criticized at first, but the improved public service and reduction of the gas bills will be my justification and show that I have not been unmindful of the interests of the great public whose burdens my party is seeking to lighten. I shall count on you then, said Elton, after a pause. The failure of the bill at the last stage, when I was expecting its passage, might affect my affairs seriously. If the legislature does its part, I will do mine, responded Lyons augustly. I will sign the bill if it comes to me in the present form. I thank you, Governor. Lyons looked confused, but happy at the appellation. By the way, said Elton, after he had returned the papers to his pocket, these are trying times for men with financial obligations. It is my custom to be frank and not to mince matters where important interests are concerned. A candidate for office in this campaign will need the use of all his faculties if he is to be successful. I should be very sorry for the sake of my bill, to allow your mind to be distracted by solicitude in regard to your private affairs. Some of the best and most prudent of our businessmen are pressed to-day for ready money. I am in a position to give you temporary assistance if you require it, In justice to my interests you must not let delicacy stand in the way of your accepting my offer. Lyon's bosom swelled with the pride of returning happiness he had scarcely been able to believe his ears yet here was a definite spontaneous proposition to remove the incubus which weighed upon his soul here was an opportunity to redeem the bonds of the parson's estate and to repair his damaged self-respect it seemed to him as though the clouds of adversity which had encompassed him had suddenly been swept away and that providence was smiling down at him on her approved and favorite son his emotion choked with speech his lips trembled and his eyes looked as though they would fill with tears After a brief pause he articulated that he was somewhat pressed for money. Some explanation of his affairs followed, the upshot of which was that Elton agreed to endorse Lyon's promissory notes held by the banks to the amount of $60,000 and to accept as collateral for a personal loan of $40,000 certain securities to new local enterprises which had no present marketable value. By this arrangement his property was amply protected from sacrifice he would be able to adjust his speculative account in new york and he could await with a tranquil soul the return of commercial confidence lyons's heart was overflowing with satisfaction he pressed elton's hand and endeavored to express his gratitude with appropriate grand eloquence but elton disclaimed the obligation asserting that he had acted merely from self-interest to make the election of his candidate more certain the loan of forty thousand dollars was completed within forty eight hours and before the end of another week lyons had rescued the bonds of the parsons estate from pawn and disposed of his line of stocks carried by williams and van horn they were sold at a considerable loss but he made up his mind to free his soul for the time being from the toils and torment of speculation and to nurse his dwarfed resources behind the bulwark of elton's relief fund until the financial situation cleared he felt as though he had grown ten years younger and without confiding to selma the detail of these transactions he informed her ecstatically that owing to certain important developments due partly to the friendliness of horace elton the outlook for their future advancement had never been so bright within a month later he was nominated as governor he threw himself into the contest with the convincing ardor of sincere untrammeled faith in the reforms he was advocating His speeches reflected complete concentration of his powers on the issues of the campaign and evoked enthusiasm throughout the state by their eloquent arraignment of corporate rapacity at the expense of the sovereign people. In several of his most telling addresses he accused the national administration of pandering to the un-American gamblers who bought and sold stocks in Wall Street. End of chapter 26